Viva Spaniards, bienvenidos a todos. Gracias por escuchar a este nuevo capítulo, número 10. Doble cifras. Welcome everyone. Thank you for listening to this newest episode, number 10, Double Figures. This episode is going to take you on a trip around Spain. Una vuelta de España. If only I could do this virtually. Now that would be cool. Since as long as I can remember, I've been going on holiday to Spain. And if my memory's right, as kids, it was always to the Balearic Islands, Las Islas Baleares, Menorca and Mallorca, to be specific. In year nine at school, there was a trip to Tosa de Mar in Catalonia, or Catalunya, if you will. And then when I was 18, it was a lad's holiday in Tenerife, or Tenerife. And that was it, until I moved to Madrid at 21 years old. Now, the thing is, I don't think I ever had a particular affinity for Spain, and much less Madrid, where I'd never been before. If anything, I always felt quite connected to Italy. My mum lived in Italy for some months when she was young, and she speaks bits of the language, and she understands a lot of it. And I mean, who doesn't like spag bol and pizza? Not to mention the Italian football back in the 90s. Now, crazily, at 38 years old, it's somewhere I've still never been. I have to get there. I must, I must, I must. Now, as Vitali mentioned in a previous episode, Spanish people are very proud of their country. And they will tell you that there is no need to leave Spain, as it has everything you want, somewhere or other. Interestingly, and I actually found this quite cute, nearly all Madrileños, as lots of people move to the capital from around the country, have a pueblo, a pueblo, a town or village that they're connected to. Now, these can range from tiny towns in the middle of nowhere, villages with six people, to other cities around the country, but they'll always refer to them as their pueblo. And the way they talk about it is, it sounds like home. It's like the safe or happy place that they have, and where, no doubt, they have los abuelos, grandparents, and tios, aunts and uncles, and no doubt, primos too, cousins as well. In my first summer in Spain, a few friends and I decided to hire a car and do a road trip because I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. Surely they can't have desert in the south and lush forest in the north. So I went to find out. Starting from Madrid, famous for its museums like El Prado and the Thyssen or the Reina Sofia, and of course famous for Real Madrid, sorry, Colchoneros, you Atletico Madrid supporters, as well as local dishes like Cocido Madrileño, a proper hearty chickpea-based stew. And then the infamous squid sandwich, a bocadillo de calamares, con alioli, claro. So much nicer than it sounds, a squid sandwich. It doesn't sound up to much, does it? But believe me, delicious. So on our road trip, our first stop was Tarifa. Tarifa is a stone's throw away from Gibraltar down in the southwest of Spain in the region of Andalucía. In Tarifa, specifically, they're famous for wind-based water sports. You know, 
windsurfing, kite surfing, because obviously they get a lot of wind there. And up the road, a bit to the west, is Cadiz. And a few minutes to the east, like I mentioned, Gibraltar. Gibraltar, as the Spaniards would call it, and Gibraltar, as us Brits would say. Now, Andalusia as a region is known for being quite vibrant, and the music and dance plays into this, the, the flamenco dance and music. It has beautiful beaches, as do most places in Spain, I have to admit, and beautiful, stunning architecture like the Alhambra in Granada, where a lot of it is heavily influenced from Los Moros, the Moors. Local dishes that you can find in Andalusia include gazpacho, which is a cold tomato soup, and salmorejo, which is a cold tomato soup, of which between them, as you can tell, I can't tell the difference. Apparently, salmorejo, if you Google it, is a thick tomato and bread soup. So there you have it. And pescaito frito, fried fish. Now, the stereotype for Andalusis is that they are very warm and personable people, but also quite lazy. Now, that's not me saying it. That's the stereotype. The biggest city in Andalusia is Sevilla, and that's somewhere I've been fortunate enough to go for a couple of hours, which is a little bit shameful, really, because I've heard it is up there with one of the most incredible cities that Spain has to offer. Now, the reason I went only for a couple of hours is because while we were down in Tarifa, we bought a football newspaper and saw that the annual invitational football match of Betis was happening that evening, and it was against AC Milan, who at that time had an incredible team. For you footballeros, there was Dida, Gattuso, Kaká, Seydorf, Pirlo, and others that I can't remember off the top of my head. So we managed to get a hold of some tickets, and in we went. From there, we went all the way across the country to Castellón on the east coast in the Valencian province. And there we enjoyed the Mediterranean Sea and Paella Valenciana, which I know you all know. Now, this part of Spain, the Comunidad Valenciana, is famous for its beaches, as is Andalusia. But like I said, most of Spain is famous for its beaches. And there's the City of Arts and Science, and that's just like stepping into the future. Another thing Valencia is famous for is the fiesta, the annual party of Las Fallas. And this is where they burn gigantic effigies, often costing tens of thousands of pounds, and many are sponsored by local businesses. It's kind of like Guy Fawkes Night, but these effigies are something else. You should definitely check them out. Some interesting thoughts on Valencianos are that they're a bit chavy. Chonny is the word they use for a girl. Think Vicky Pollard as a stereotype from Little Britain, or canny. For a boy, which, yeah, really is just a typical chavvy-looking lad. They have a tick of nano as well. And it's used like most of the rest of the country use tío as mate. So they say, ¿Qué pasa, nano? And the final thing on Valencianos, they call each other tete for a boy or teta for a girl. Now... This is a little bit weird because some of you will know that teta means boob, as in booby or breast, or even more closely, the translation you'd find is tit. Again, tete for a boy, teta for a girl. But it's like we say 
duck in Lincolnshire as a term of endearment. After Valencia, we went up to Catalonia. Well, Catalonia, Madrid. Oof, el clásico. The football derby, they call it a derby. Football derby. Two teams from different parts of the country. However, el derby clásico. Now, the first thing you realize when you get to Madrid is... It, now, the first thing you realize when you get to Madrid is that the rivalry is legit and it is fierce between the Madridistas and the Culés, the Real Madrid and the Barcelona supporters. And when I talk about rivalry, I mean I've seen friends nearly come to blows on this tema, this subject. As a side note, something I found almost intolerable, this isn't just Real Madrid-Barcelona supporters, this was football supporters in general. If I were ever watching a match in public, like at a bar or wherever, and I, I had to stop after a period of time because I just couldn't cope anymore. If one spectator's player was fouled and was rolling around on the floor, the cries of Amarilla would ring loudly around the establishment for a yellow card. Now, the same foul a few minutes later, but with roles reversed, the player from this guy's team doing the fouling, the shouts are, Se ha tirado, hombre! With the gesticular hands being thrown up in the air in indignation. And them saying, He's dived, man! Honestly, I couldn't cope. It really is something else. Now, historically, there has been a lot going on between the capital city and the Catalans, of which Franco is very much uh, held responsible. I'm not prepared to enter into this, as I am blessed to admit I don't know enough about the topic. I'm just not well-versed enough on it to be able to talk. But the tension is palpable. You can see independentistas all over the place in Catalonia and their voice is very loud. Think Scottish nationalists and you've got a good idea of what I'm talking about. I think it's quite common for us Catalanes to impose their political views on people through use of Catalan, the language that they speak in Catalonia. And it's happened to me, as well as other people that I've spoken to. Now, I recall sitting in Las Ramblas with my friends, and as the Spanish speaker, as you recall, barely at that point, because we're still on that same first summer, my job was to order everything for everyone. Now, it was a simple order, something along the lines of tres cervezas y tres botellas de agua, por favor. And then the camarero, the waiter, said something to me or us, and off he went. Now, the look on my face must have shown my obvious confusion. As I mentioned this anecdote with Matt in the previous episode, because my mates asked if I was all right and why I was confused and what did he say? And the thing was, I knew that he said he'd be right back with the drinks. But when I tried to piece together the individual words that he'd used, I didn't know a single word he'd said. And then it dawned on me that while I'd used Spanish, Castellano, Castilian Spanish, he'd answered me in Catalan. Now, for a lot of people, Barcelona is the preferred city. And it has a lot to do with the fact that it has the luxury of a beach, I imagine, as well as the fantastic arquitectura that both Madrid and Barcelona can boast. But the influence of Gaudi on the city and its Gothic look is, is really intriguing. If you were to be dropped in Spain, 
you would know if you were in Barcelona simply by its architecture. And there's the world famous Catedral of La Sagrada Familia, which is mind blowing and makes you wonder what sort of things went around in Gaudi's head. Now, typical foods include palantomaquet, which I'm sure I have butchered the pronunciation of because that's Catalan, and it is effectively tomato bread. Now, it sounds like nothing, but it is actually a top-tier breakfast, which leads me on to a very, very serious question. When you're in Spain and you get your pan tomaca or pan con tomate in a bar or restaurant or cafe, what order are you putting your ingredients on the bread? You've got olive oil, tomato, and salt, aceite de olivo, tomate, sal, but what order are you putting them on the bread in? Now, for me, I'm actually getting physically nervous saying this out loud for fear of judgment. I am a tomato on first, then olive oil, and then salt. There you go. I've said it. Comment below. Let me know how you put your tomato, salt, and olive oil on. Then there's crema catalana, which is another nationally known dish originating from Catalonia as you can understand, which is a delicious custard dish, similar to a creme brulee or something like that. So next up on the road trip was a short stop back in Madrid before heading up north to Riva de Sella in Asturias. Now, this is where the Spanish queen, La Reina Leticia, is from and part of the Picos de Europa, the European peaks, and the home of the international Seya River Descent. This is really cool. This is a 20-kilometer stretch of river that takes kayakers down to the Cantabrian Sea. So there you have it. Now, when I was working at my old school in Spain, I was fortunate enough to go on many, 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 many trips. I went to Grand Rapids in the USA, in Michigan. I went to Andorra skiing with the kids, and Tarragona, too, in Catalonia. But my favorite was a surf trip to a place called Somo in Santander in Asturias. That week, I was one of the luckiest people ever because I'd attached the school's GoPro to the front of my board while I was surfing. And after a couple of hours, a wave must have knocked the camera off. So needless to say, I was a little apprehensive about going back to school and having to explain the situation because GoPros were brand new at the time and cost like 500 euros or something ridiculous. So that evening, I took the kids on, a, on an unplanned excursion of let's go back to the beach at low tide and let's see if on the off chance it had washed up. And would you believe it? It had. We were walking down the beach and I caught something reflecting out of the corner of my eye on the sand and among a load of pebbles, there it was. Que suerte. So in Asturias, they're famous for loads of different things. But the main one in my mind is either... It's definitely between either La Leche Asturiana, so Asturian milk, or La Fabada Asturiana. Now, La Fabada Asturiana is a bean and pork stew, and it's a, it's a nice winter dish that people all over Spain enjoy, particularly in the, the colder months. I don't know, though, you know, thinking about it, because there's also Sidra, La Sidra Asturiana, Asturian cider. Now, if you've never seen... Asturian cider being poured, YouTube it. It's an art. It's a skill and an art all at the same time. So returning to the road trip. Next stop, 
Bilbao, in the País Vasco. Now, the País Vasco is the Basque country. And in the Basque country, you can find uh, the Guggenheim Art Museum. That was in Bilbao. And I went there with my mate Chris. And he is a Geordie guy. And it was like traipsing a toddler around. Every two minutes, can we gain in yen? Yeah, that was English, believe it or not. Can we gain in yen? Which apparently is Geordie for, can we go home? Now, I'm not an art connoisseur by far, but I know what I like and I like what I know. And where Geordie could be considered uh, a completely different language, the language in El País Vasco is completely different to Castilian Spanish. It's called Euskara. And to me, it looks like a more Eastern European language because it's got loads of T's followed by X's. And it just goes to show that around Spain, there are so many different languages within the country. I didn't mention Valenciano, which is a language in Valencia. Then obviously, like I said, you've got Mallorquin, Mallorca, you've got um, Gallego, which we'll get on to. And also Catalan, which we've mentioned previously too. So it's a, it's a real mishmash of languages. While every country, as we've mentioned, has its own gastronomy, or at least dishes that it's famous for, El País Vasco is considered a culinary capital of Spain. It has three, three Michelin star restaurants, all in San Sebastián, along with five others, there are two or one star Michelin star restaurants too. So if you're after a good weekend of culinary delights, head across to San Sebastian on the border of France and Spain. Pinchos, small bites, is something that originates from the País Basco. And one curious point that this has is how many restaurants will take payment for pinchos. So often it will be a cocktail stick that will be keeping the pincho together and it will have a different color on the end of it. Now, each of these colors will correspond to a different price. So many places are effectively self-service, and then the bill is calculated by adding up the different values for the colors of the cocktail sticks that you've got. Another curiosity about the Basque Country, Athletic Club de Bilbao, the football team. Sorry, I'm banging on about football. But that club insists on only signing and fielding players of Basque origin. Uh, they effectively play by the international rule of the grandparent rule, but they do it in club football. Now, this is really impressive because they are actually a regular in European football competitions too. And that fits in with the stereotype and the reputation of Los Bascos, though. Very proud of their heritage, but also quite reserved and quite serious. In, if my memory is correct, 2009... I worked for my company in a universities project whereby students that were awarded credits for their academic performances were able to access further learning opportunities through the summer months. English classes were one of those options. And one of the teachers that you could have been assigned to was yours truly. I had a few options as to where I could teach from all around Spain, including Las Islas Canarias, Lanzarote, Gran Canaria, Tenerife. But I went north and opted for La Coruña in Galicia. Uh, thinking back, I'm not sure why. Nevertheless, that's where I went. I loved that city, though. It reminded me of home. Rain all the time. But seriously, it lashed it down nearly every day. 
Now, the best way I can describe Galician weather or El Tiempo Gallego, at least that summer, was like English weather on steroids. When it rained, it rained hard. When the sun came out, it was boiling. If it got humid, it felt like there was no way of escaping it. But anyway, we made the most of the opportunities that we had that summer. And when I say we, I'm talking about my friend and I, Duncan. So Duncan was somebody that I met up in the north of Spain as a fellow teacher. And he became a friend and was a big surfer and bodyboarder. Now, I bugged him and bugged him about taking me out and going bodyboarding with him. He refused to teach me how to surf because he said there's no point. They wouldn't be able to enjoy the waves himself. So I said, that's fine. Take me out on the water, please. So he did on a few occasions. Now, this was the first time I'd ever done anything like this. And I have to admit, I thought it would be cool, but not exhilarating. Like, it was crazy, the speeds that you'd get up to. When you're riding a wave, it might only be maybe 12 or 15 miles an hour. But it feels like you're going on you're going on for 60 miles an hour or something like that. And it is a hell of a workout. The effort it takes to get out beyond the break is agotador. It's exhausting. Anyway, on the second of those occasions, as we were getting into wetsuits, as the water is cold up there, the only two people on the entire beach, me and Duncan, this guy heads down towards us through the steps on the dunes. And he is en pelotas, in balls. As my youngest would tell you, in his nuddy. Letting it all hang out. And to top it off, rather than just saying good afternoon and carrying on with his naked stroll, he stayed for a chat. And he initiated this chat in Gallego. Now, Gallego is best described as a mix of Spanish and Portuguese. And then, during the conversation, he proceeded to what can only be assumed as unstick his cojones from his legs by performing standing lunges. Yeah, sorry about that. I won't give a description, just so the image can't be too vivid in your mind. And anyway, La Coruña, beautiful city, and the Rias Baixas... Las Rias Bajas, the estuaries of Galicia, they're beautiful too. And everything up there is green. It's todo verde. Everything is green. And then they have the local, controversial to many, dish of pulpo a la gallega. Octopus. Galician style. Gallego. A la gallega. Which if you have tried, I'm sure you enjoyed. And if you haven't tried, I promise you won't be disappointed by. It's not rubbery, like it looks, but it's not, if it's fresh and well-prepared. And if you're wondering, Los Gallegos stereotypically are melancholic, and the joke is that they have the innate ability to answer a question with a question. Justo como los políticos, just like politicians. Now, I don't want to comment too much on some of the other places that I don't know so well or I haven't got to know so well. So if I haven't mentioned a particular place, it's because I can't speak firsthand about it. Everywhere else, everything that I've mentioned today is somewhere that I've been fortunate enough to visit on my travels. And I hope that you have enjoyed this episode and you're enjoying the podcast in general. If you are, please follow, like, subscribe on whichever platform you choose 
at Viva Spanish Lee on socials. Give me a click. Tell your mates, anyone that you know that uses any of the Spanish language learning apps, just ask them if they've checked out Viva Spanish, the podcast. It goes so far in helping me and the company move forwards. Entonces, para acabar, la frase de siempre. So to finish, the usual phrase, la próxima vez, más y mejor. Muchas gracias.